0: Thank you for listening to the Akuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, learning our purpose, and linking to our community. From wherever you are listening, welcome to the community. We hope you enjoy the message. I am so happy to be with you here today as we continue to dive into arguably Jesus's most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the last few weeks, Humby has led us through Jesus's invitation for us to experience the kingdom of heaven in the here and now by developing the nature of the king of that kingdom. In other words, by becoming more like Jesus. That means that we should want to be formed by the practices he showed us until they become our natural or second nature, which will then allow us to live in the fullness of blessings that Jesus has and is bringing down to earth for us and through us. Before we get any further, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather and to hear more of your word. I pray that you speak to us and you would have us receive everything that you want for us to receive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a couple years ago, while we were still in COVID and we were still trying to stay socially distant, a couple of buddies of mine and I started to hang out. We decided to hang out one night. And as we were hanging out after kids went to bed, 11.30 p.m. hits and I get hungry. And I don't know about you guys, but I was not eating very healthy at that time. And I decided a jack-in-the-box munchie meal is what I wanted, if you know what I'm talking about. You know about the halfsy fries and the, and the halfsy curly fries and the tacos and the burger for $6? One of the many blessings God has bestowed on us this side of heaven. So I tell everyone, hey guys, I'm going to go to Jack in the Box. It's down the road. I'm going to order through the, through the app. Do you want anything? And yes, everyone ordered something. I hit submit on the orders, jump in the car with my buddy Rob, and then we get there 30 seconds later. And it was packed like everyone in San Antonio at the same time decided to go to the same Jack in the Box for munchy meals. It was at this point that I was faced with the decision, do I turn back empty handed or do I commit to the process of getting these tacos? I decided it was worth it. And I have to let you guys know, this is one of those drive-throughs that's one lane and eventually the curb comes up and there's a wall. So once you're in, you're in. But slowly but surely, we inch up until we are next in line with 20 cars behind us and I see the microphone awaiting my order. Just so I can say, I ordered on the app, I want my tacos. And just as I'm about to pull up, this blacked out, really nice Mercedes from behind comes up me and <laughs> hits my car from behind while I was still in park. I was so caught off guard, I don't think anyone was really expecting to get hit at a drive through So I get out, assess the damage to the car, and when I do that, the passenger from the car comes out and starts going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, it was an accident, we're sorry. And at this point, I'm kind of just like, hey man, it's okay, let me just get your information, we can figure this out, it's all right. He goes back, tells a driver who then comes out of the car yelling at the top of his lungs, pointing at me, calling me every single name you could ever imagine. But in essence, he said, you are a baby baby. I don't care about this and neither should you. And my conflict resolution at this time was to go, hey man, no one's yelling here. It's gonna be okay, just calm down. Well, his reaction to that was to go ahead and punch me in my face to where my glasses fly off and I have to catch them midair, which is kinda cool if you ask me. But everything that I knew about being in church and loving Jesus and being a peacemaker left my head the same way that my glasses did. And then the the words of a famous American theologian resonated in my mind. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. My point is this, this will happen to you. Life will present you with moments that will catch you off guard and this will in turn reveal our true nature. Sudden provocations are the ones that reveal who we are. And this is what C.S. Lewis describes as rats in the cellar. He says, If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. The rats are always there in the cellar, but if you go in shouting and noisily, they will have taken cover before you switch on the light. So what will the sudden provocations of life, the stresses and annoyances reveal in our persons? Will it reveal a people with their eyes set on the kingdom of heaven? Now, setting our eyes on the kingdom of heaven is really important for us to do, as Jesus' entire message at this point was repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is calling us to notice that his kingdom is upon us, and we are called to repent, which translates to metanoia or change your mind, and for us today to rethink what we know and trust in his message and way of life in order to experience the blessing of his kingdom. By performing countless miracles and healings and then starting his sermon with the Beatitudes, Jesus reveals that his kingdom is all-encompassing and you can experience it regardless of who you are. Bless are the poor, the meek, the persecuted. Living in the blessing of God is not contingent on your bloodline, but by trusting your life to Jesus. Here's a synopsis of how N.T. Wright describes it in his book, After You Believe. Jesus designates blessedness is not a reward for who you are or what you've done, but that it is what happens when God is at work both in and through your life. Those of us who follow Jesus can begin to develop right now a character, a second nature which corresponds to the way they are in God's kingdom. And when we do, we anticipate the future return of our king and the fullness of his kingdom and demonstrate to the world the tension between that inbreaking future and the way things still are in the present. And that tension is what I want us to keep in mind as we read through the remainder of Matthew 5 and Jesus' call for us to set our eyes on the kingdom. Go ahead and read Matthew 5 verse 38 with me. It reads, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek... Turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now there is so much in this text, so let's go ahead and go line by line. Beginning immediately in verse 38, Jesus continues the pattern that he has set before of addressing what people know or had been told with this line, "You have heard it said." And then he is calling them to repent, or, again, to rethink what they know and trust in His way of doing things with, "But I tell you." You see, Jesus here addresses what the people at the time knew as the law of retaliation. That's the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth bit. This law was set as instructions found in several places in the Jewish scriptures on how to handle justice. But the people of Israel began to twist it and morph it into a permission rather than see it as a limitation. Here's what I mean by that. If you see this law, you may immediately think God is condoning violence. If someone pokes your eye, you poke them right back. And if someone breaks your tooth, you can break theirs. But really what God is doing is trying to prevent people's tendency to seek revenge from coming about in their justice. God was setting a limit to punishment that was meant to protect life rather than permission to harm others in order to seek your own justice. As that would just give free reign to an imperfect, vengeful people to do what they wanted. I mean, imagine this, imagine this. Back in Jesus's day, you're riding along on your two-speed camel or whatever you're riding and you happen to get caught speeding. You get pulled over for going one mile over the limit, but you get sentenced to one year in prison for it. That would be wild. It's a silly example, I know, but I'm sure if that happened to us today, we'd have serious questions about whether the fairness and justice actually existed in that situation. Now, consider the actual repercussions of this in ancient Israel. Someone mistreats your family member and your entire family goes and kills that person. And if you went, yeah, that's what I would do, that's exactly why this was set in place. Us humans tend to respond irrationally when suddenly provoked. But like I said, God set a limit, not an obligation for people. He said, you can go up this far if they do this. He didn't say that you have to do anything at all. In fact, several places throughout the scriptures, we can read where God calls on us to trust and have faith that he will bring order and justice to these situations. Is it challenging? Yes, Can we ever bring about justice in this world? Absolutely. But in whatever ways we participate in God's justice coming to earth, the heart of trusting and having faith that God will perfectly make all things right should never leave our minds. Now, in the next verse, the verse reads, Jesus calls us to not resist an evildoer. And I wanted to make a point to keep that word in, resist, resist. Because that's what my Bible has it translated at least. But the word resist isn't the best translation available to us here. The actual Greek translates more accurately to do not retaliate or take aggressive action against. It doesn't mean not to protect yourself or oppose evil ever. Now, there may be some believers that have taken these instructions literally and refuse to defend themselves in all situations. But seeing the Greek translation, I believe that the spirit of the law, which Jesus is clarifying, isn't meant for us to take any and all harm and abuse unconditionally. There are ways you can be an advocate of nonviolence and a peacemaker without being a doormat. Jesus in his own life withdraws to safety when pushed against the side of a cliff or in the immediate path of stones meant to kill him. And he also flips over the tables of injustice and defends the defenseless when called upon. In fact, it happens right before he starts his ministry. John the Baptist is arresting for preaching the same exact message of repent for the kingdom is near that Jesus is now preaching. When Jesus finds this out, he leaves town and goes to a safer territory. Now, With that very important caveat out of the way, let's continue on to the examples that Jesus provides for us in the following verses. And what I want to do is give the significance of each example and how it may be interpreted through a kingdom lens and a heart to become more like our King Jesus. Let's begin with the verse of 39. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So some of us might read this and go, well, I'm just not going to get slapped on the right cheek because I don't want to offer the other one too. But the heart of what Jesus is getting to here, by using a bit of hyperbole, is not the physical harm that comes from a slap, but the insult. If we're being honest, a slap isn't the biggest threat to us all. Jesus could have used punch or strike or a more powerful word if he wanted to indicate physical harm. But he used slap for this reason. And we are all familiar with the reality of insults, especially in our day where the anonymous nature of the internet provides plenty of space for people to insult and disrespect whoever they want, whenever they want. But the environment Jesus gave this message in compared to our current Western world seems to really give a different idea of what an insult really is. You see, Jesus and the people at the time lived in a crockpot of an honor-shame culture, where there are so many levels of position and authority and power that insults cut deep on multiple levels. There's a hierarchy of religious elite who determined if you were worthy for God, and then that was coupled with the fact that the Jews faced oppression by Roman soldiers carrying weapons with them. This meant that you were probably insulted deeply and often. But as with any insult for them or for us, a slap on the cheek would hurt the pride more than the body, especially if we gave it that power. Let's face it, you and I and all of us have at some point or another been insulted or mistreated somehow. And when that happens, this is what Jesus is calling us to do. With our eyes set on the kingdom of heaven, he wants us to receive that insult and not retaliate by hurling one back. Rather, he invites us to view that insult as an opportunity to rest firmly in the identity we have in Jesus, not in the lie of the insult. Seen through a kingdom lens, an insult can point us to our identity found in Jesus and possibly invite the insulter to repent or rethink and view the same in us and themselves. Now the next verse, verse 40 states, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let them have your coat as well. Again, Jesus uses hyperbole to get to the heart change that he wants us to have. He perfectly understands that this isn't a fair situation, but he is wanting us to utilize every opportunity, even ones like this, to anticipate the future fullness of his kingdom and reveal to the world the tension of that kingdom and our current state. In someone taking from us, Jesus wants us to trust that God will provide both justice and provision. Yes, this can be interpreted as hyperbole. I don't really think Jesus wants us to give away all of our clothing and run around naked, but Jesus is calling us to develop a character that is formed with an unshakable trust in our Heavenly Father. Seeing through a kingdom lens, the taking can point us to trusting in God's provision and justice, possibly even invite the taker to repent and rethink what they are trusting in. The next verse reads, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Now, this one is definitely metaphorical for us, but it wasn't for the original hearers of this message. The immediate hearers of this message lived under the rule of Roman soldiers who could very literally command Jews to take their equipment and carry it for one mile. If this happened to you, you were immediately reminded of the fact that you are under rule of the Romans. And you would take that bag and walk every single step, reminded that you are not free. And trust me, GPS did not exist, and you can guarantee the Roman soldier wasn't keeping track of the mile. So you knew exactly how many steps a mile consisted of, and you counted each and every one of them while growing in resentment. Yet Jesus, knowing full well this reality, is instructing them to go a second mile with them. The reason he calls them and us to do this is to be reminded of who the true ruler and king is. In responding in this way when made to walk a mile through force, Jesus wants us to walk another one in freedom, through our own choice and volition. Viewed through a kingdom lens, the forced walk can lead us to walk in God's freedom, reminding us that he is a true ruler and king. By doing so, it could possibly even invite the enforcer to repent and rethink who their king is. In those three examples, Jesus has given us a specific set of instructions of how we can view the sudden provocations of life as opportunities to rethink and reveal our identity, trust, and freedom found in our King and His kingdom, both to us and everyone around us. When we are insulted, we should be pointed to and reveal our identity in Christ. And when someone takes from us, we are to be invited to more deeply trust in God. And when we walk a mile out of force, Jesus invites us to walk one out of freedom, be reminded that we are set free through him. What I also want us to note is this. There's a progression in all of these illustrations from simply not resisting to giving generously to those that tempt us, to retaliate against them. What Jesus is wanting us to do is to live in his kingdom and bring it to be with him. And that cannot be done by the way of the world. He is calling us to repent, to rethink through what we have been told by the world and trust in his kingdom's ways where love is the governing principle for our lives. We meet hatred with positive love rather than what we have received. You see, Christ came to found a kingdom and community, not another system that has us follow rules and do the bare minimum. That's been tried before. It didn't work. Jesus wants to create a true heart change both in us and all those around us. And how is Jesus's kingdom going to be put into effect? By sending us his followers to do something that was radically different to what the world had known up to that point, to lead a holy rebellion led by love incarnate. Jesus is showing us that God's kingdom can only be fully launched if the forces that stand against it, the forces of chaos and destruction, of hatred and violence, of pride and greed, were not just met by a cheerful new alternative, but by being confronted and defeated by a sacrificial, selfless love to all, This was at the heart of how Jesus wanted us to live out God's commands, which points us to how the kingdom of heaven operates now and forever. This is a holy rebellion led by love. Here's how Jesus closes out the rest of his message, calling us to rethink and trust in his ways. It reads, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may show yourselves to be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All of what Jesus has set up to this point in his message has been, rethink how you view and treat your enemies, and instead, trust in my ways and instructions to love them as I love them. Jesus' teaching to absorb and so to give to our enemies and choose to go above and beyond in spite of our own good was a radical shift from what ancient Israel had known. And if we think about it, perhaps even to what we may know. And perhaps even what our reaction may be when suddenly provoked or punched in the mouth by life and others— As someone who was faced with all sorts of provocation, Paul, a writer of the New Testament and a person transformed from an eye for an eye into a love your enemies kind of guy, summarized Jesus' instructions for us in a beautiful, noteworthy way. He writes in Romans 12, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. By confronting the lies and ways of the enemy who uses hate and violence with the truth and ways of Jesus who responds with grace and love, we can become more like Jesus and keep our eyes on the kingdom that he has brought near to us, while simultaneously inviting others into it as well. Think about it, who here would accept an invitation to a church by someone who had just insulted you and ignored the very call of their God and what he told them to do? No one. You can't trust them. And if that's how you respond to people, I don't really need any help doing that. I can do that on my own. But instead, if we respond to hostility with love, forgiveness, and compassion, we will recognize and honor the dignity and worth of all people who were created by God and offer a more inviting path to redemption back to Him. Allowing people, especially our enemies, know that the kingdom of Jesus has come near again through the way we live is exactly what Jesus' message was all about. So let me finish up that Jack in the Box story for you as I know that you're dying to know how it ended. Your Akua worship leader, while wearing a church shirt, ended up getting punched in the face again. And eventually, the two men got in their cars, popped the curve, peeled away from the scene of the crime, and I got back in my car. I got my tacos and waited as the police showed up to get an incident report. And while I was fuming at the time for getting punched in the face not once but twice, meaning I couldn't even eat my tacos, and I was seriously thinking I needed makeup to hide any bruising or black eyes the next day, I didn't regret it. I knew that retaliating with the violence wasn't the response Jesus would want for me. But I also had a strong feeling that these two men, drunk as they may be, were also a part of an outcast community whom Jesus had called me to love. And if I had punched back, I would have very likely lost all the equity I and the church had with them, if any at all. But I hope and pray that whatever they are doing now, they can think back to a moment when their hostility was met with grace and love, much in the same way you and I's shortcomings are met by Jesus. Jesus was and is no stranger to insults and mockery and violence, all of which culminated with his body being placed on a cross though he was innocent but he allowed himself to be placed there in order to allow us a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven and an opportunity to rethink what we believe and instead trust in his life and resurrection. Jesus, in all of his perfection, even prayed forgiveness over us when he was crucified. And in his resurrection, he calls us to be perfect as he is perfect, compassionate as he is compassionate. If you're anything like me and you want to take the words of Jesus seriously, you may be asking, I don't know if I can live up to this. Well, probably not. But here's the thing. The Jesus that lived this way exactly lives inside of his people through his spirit. We are not alone in this. So instead of us trying to live this way for Jesus, I want us to ask Jesus, will you live this way through me? And all of that begins by rethinking through the lies this world has given us and instead trusting in the life, person, and perfect love of Jesus. And if you want to give up the ways you've been living and place your trust in Jesus instead, you can go ahead and pray something similar to this, along with all of your community here at Akuo. Because here, no one ever prays alone. You can pray, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to turn away from what I knew before and completely trust in your perfection. Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you have brought your kingdom near to me by paying for my sins, my imperfections, through your perfect life, precious blood, undeserved death, and miraculous resurrection. Jesus, take my life and allow me to live the way you lived always trusting in your ways the best that I know how. Thank you for your loving sacrifice. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Now, if you just prayed that for the first time ever, or you've been thanking Jesus for his perfect love for the past several decades, I want to invite everyone to sit and live out our name here at Akuo, which means to listen. As a community, let's allow God to speak into our lives for the next few minutes. And I want us to ask him this question. Jesus, where in my life can I rethink and trust in your ways more? Go ahead, pray that, and listen to God in the next few minutes. which means to listen. As a community, let's allow God to speak into our lives for the next few minutes. And I want us to ask him this question. Jesus, where in my life can I rethink and trust in your ways more? Go ahead, pray that, and listen to God in the next few minutes. Thank you, God, for all that you have done. We thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection that caused us to more. I pray that our ears would be opened and that we can listen to your voice everywhere that we go. We trust in you today and for the rest of our lives. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you so much for being a part of this today. Before we go, here's a few things that I want to share with you that are happening here at Akuo. The first of which is Feed SA. We are partnering with the Feed SA initiative to provide meals to families who are in need this summer. We're going to do that by taking donations for the food bank in the next few weeks. Actually, next Sunday is our last day. We'll have a red bin outside during our services, but you can also give money. For every dollar that we give, the food bank is able to use that money to buy seven meals. To make it easy to donate, we have put a new line item on our giving for you to do that electronically. Again, the final day for the food bank donations of money and food will be next Sunday, June 11th. Let's go ahead, be a community, and do our part to help get some food to people that need it. Now, maybe you need some help. And you need some food and you need some, some resources, if that is you, you can email us at help at Akuo.church or call and text the church at 210 901 8785. But if you are willing to give here at Akuo and do the celebration of trusting in Jesus, you can text Akuo, a K O U O, and the dollar amount to the number 77977. If you don't want to give electronically, we also have a giving box in the back where you can just send your gift via a check to P.O. Box that we have available for you. If you want to do that, just mail in your check to Akuo at P.O. Box 100-125, San Antonio, Texas 78201. Now, if you want to give time as well, you can join an A-team and just show up on a Sunday at 8 a.m., help us set up, or show up at 9 and pray over service with us. That is a great way to give above and beyond. Now, that's all that I have for you guys, so let me pray over you one last time before we go. God, thank you so much for this community around us, for all of us being able to gather and listen to your word, and I just pray that you move so strongly in our lives as we go about our weeks. Lord, give us the eyes to see your kingdom all around us and to invite everyone into it and to be able to live more like you, Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and we seek your kingdom above all else. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, that's all that we have for you. I will see you guys soon. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O k o-o.church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.